0: Hi there welcome back to my podcast. Uh, in this episode diamati and I continue to analyze Shinran's great work The Kyogyo Shinsha. In this episode we discuss some of Dennis Hirota's analysis of Shinran's ideas and particularly the way in which he relates Shinran's ideas to the philosopher Heidegger. Um, a bit later in the podcast we discussed the important uh, Pure Land Parable, which is the parable of the White Path. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. For some reason, I become, I became engaged with the idea of um, seeing connections between Shinran and Heidegger. Mm. Uh, and all of a sudden, I discovered that there's actually quite, quite a bit out there uh, that's been written. Uh, on, you know, bringing together uh, Shinran and Heidegger. And in particular, I came across uh, Dennis Hirota, who is actually one of the editors of of the volume of the collective works of Shinran. Uh, But he's also, um, you know, an academic, and amongst many of the things that he seems to have written, he's written quite a few things about trying to bring Shinran's ideas in relationship uh, to Heidegger. One of the essays that I wrote, uh, that I read, sorry, was about um, Heidegger and Shinran on truth. Mm. Uh, But there was another one that I read uh, that intrigued me quite a lot. And um, uh, what intrigued me particularly was uh, some of the ideas that Hirota was introducing. And one of them was what he identifies as... um, uh, i think all readiness readiness which mm. is uh, i think is related to something that i've mentioned in previous sessions about so rather than thinking about shinjin as a state or a, a condition that you attain uh it's seen as already have ha- already having been attained uh, and uh and he, he uses that idea to try and um overcome well, what what is the basic problem in um, in, in in well in with, with the idea of shinjin, which is how does shinjin arise? You know, because we, we talked about this a, a bit last week, didn't we, about ideas about causality and, and uh, you know going beyond the idea of causality, and if uh, if our actions don't lead to shinjin. Uh, or if there's nothing that we can do if you like to give rise to Shinjin, Then the only other explanation is that Shinjin has already arisen. That's kind of what he uh, uh, says uh, But also the other thing that interested me and I'm actually trying to find it right now um, is that he said he says that um, yeah, we, we shouldn't think of shinjin as a kind of psychological state um, that you uh, enter into or that you, you suddenly uh, wake up to. And he talks about it more in terms of like uh, uh, finding yourself in the midst of a whole world where, where you start to see things in a different way, um, which uh, he doesn't actually use this word from... Uh, from Heidegger, but Heidegger has this idea of thrownness. I don't know if you're familiar with that idea. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and it, it, it's a kind of, um, I guess, it's a kind of phenomenological idea, isn't it? Um, and that you know we're thrown into the world um, right. with certain um, uh, certain capacities to relate to the world and certain limits, mm-hmm. and all of our knowing happens within within that. If you like, within that thrownness and he, he from what i uh, can understand he seems to be seeing a, a bit of an analogy with with shinran and shinjin so it's a bit like you suddenly find yourself in the midst of a world where you believe where you believe this basically where where you where you are you've kind of entered into the amitabha myth to put it in another way and so but it's not something you you kind of realize like suddenly you realize that there's uh, someone standing behind you or something like that. Uh, It's more like you, you simply start to function uh, within that world. Um, uh, And, and so certain uh, premises, if you like, uh, they're just accepted. They're not things that are are established. They're just part of the world that you're now inhabiting. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know if that makes any sense to you.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, there there was there, there was something um that when we were talking last week um something that was kind of going through my mind with reference to this um, Shin, Shinjin, as as it, as it's talked about you know the what you say that it's already there we've talked about the the importance of uh, Nagarjuna's Nagarjanists partly aside from just being a very famous Buddhist that you have to have on your side if you have any credibility. Nagarjuna was well known for um, the doctrine of anutpada of, of non-arising. So so that um, and 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 what's important about that is is that it makes shinjin, which is kind of the ultimate reality, something that never arose at all. It's it's uh, anadi, as they say in Sanskrit, it's, it's beginningless. There was never a time when there wasn't Shenzhen. Um, And so it's co-evil with the entire universe, which is also beginningless. So Shenzhen uh, never arose at all. And that, and, and so insofar as, as it seems to arise, I mean, this is a kind of another Heideggerian notion of truth is that it's an un- 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 uncovering, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and so that, so that, so that this uh, shinjin is is perhaps something which, from the point of view of the of the devotee or the practitioner or the follower of Shinran is something that that becomes uncovered mm. rather than something that comes into being. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I found the found the article now, which is called the the holistic apprehension of religious something. Hang on. Um, oh, sorry, I can't find the whole, full title. But I, uh, yeah, and it, he sees um, he sees three main, or oh, in this essay explores three main ideas. One is the all readiness, which I've always uh, already mentioned. Uh, sometimes he talks about always already um and that means that uh yeah we've all all, uh, we have always already realized shinjin um it's not something that we come to realize then the the second point that he looks at is the idea of givenness um so that that's exploring the idea that you know awakening is a gift from outside obviously from from amitabha
1: right
0: uh and uh the third one is seeing religious life as a new mode of temporalization. Um, those are the three mm-hmm. ideas. But going back to the the first one. Um, which,
2: and this is the article by... Uh,
0: this is Dennis Hirota. Yeah.
2: Dennis Hirota. Okay. I
0: actually found this other guy as well. He's called Brett Davis. Uh, and he's also written a few things. He's written quite a lot on Heidegger alone. But he's also written a couple of things about shin buddhism and using uh, heidegger to to understand uh, some of the uh, some of the concepts in uh, in shin um it actually came out of the fact that um a couple of weeks ago i gave a talk on uh, shunyata uh, at, at, at the center here and i i stumbled across heidegger's idea of galassenheit mm-hmm. um, which is not an easy idea to translate i mean the one one translation of it is serenity, but that that when I spoke to some German speakers, uh, they say that it means something like letting be or something like that um
1: right. and, and yeah. so
0: it's to do with this idea of allowing as i understand it, allowing reality to reveal itself um as you, you know you use the idea of uncovering it's it's related to that i think. Um, right so um if you it's a kind of receptive relationship i suppose with experience uh which allows the nature of things to reveal themselves to you
1: mm-hmm. so
0: uh, and i was i was saying that i thought maybe that's what Shunyatar is trying to you know uh, indicate mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. um and then and then i stumbled across this guy that had written this essay on glass height and shinran uh, Uh, but uh, unfortunately I don't have the essay yet but I've I've written to him asking asking him if he could send it me Uh, but he does have an essay on Jinen which I've been reading uh, Mm. which is quite interesting but going back to Herodta and the first idea that I put forward to you I just want to give you a little quote Um, it is more natural to understand the realization of Shinjin as the arising of a whole world in which the language of the pure land tradition is meaningful and to borrow a term from charles taylor's analysis of heidegger's view of language constitutive of the way in which one carries on one's life that's quite an interesting idea isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so so shin uh, shinjin and the, i becomes con- constitutive of the world that you're living within rather than becoming Rather than being an experience within that world, I guess that 's kind right. of what right. what it would be saying and uh, yeah. for me, it kind of raises quite a lot of interesting questions about well, how we conceptualize enlightenment in general because uh, my my feeling is there's a tendency to see it as an uh, uh, to psychologize it uh, and to see it as a, uh, uh, a, a, a well a new way of seeing or whatever, but something that somehow we suddenly uh wake up to and it seems like what he is saying is more like um what well, shinjin in this case determines the boundaries of how you understand things um you know that they're, they're, they're like the um it, they, yeah it determines the bounds of sense um to use a a title from a, somebody else's book um yeah so yeah
2: that 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 notion of um I'm I'm familiar with that that language of cons- constitutive um, mess, <laughs> if that's the, the noun form, um, from some of the discussions of mysticism that have been around for a number of decades, and that's whether whether a mystical experience is whether a, a mystical experience is something that just happens to you or whether you're the beliefs that you have going into whatever it is that brings about this heightened sense of awareness, whether those beliefs um, are constitutive of, of the contents of your mystical experience. So you know, I guess, I guess it's it's another it's it's the, you know the mystical experience then becomes another case of the um, the old question of whether our beliefs. Are formed because of what we discover, or whether we discover things because of what we believe.
0: Yeah, um,
2: yeah. Probably there's, you know, it seems it's, it seems likely that there's there's obviously a mixture of those two things. I mean, I, there are undoubtedly experiences. You know, William James's famous, uh, you know, experience boils over. I mean, something happens that it just makes you reformulate your beliefs, but that's that doesn't happen very often. I mean, it doesn't happen very often that something so takes you off guard that you sit down and say, "I'm going to have to rebuild my whole uh, edifice of, of beliefs in in the light of this uh, in in the light of this discovery, in the light of this experience." So it's rare that that happens, um, but the the, 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 the the question is, to what extent do we keep discovering things that are you know reflections of what we already expect to discover mm. and and yeah. so you know, talking talking about Shinjin as being constitutive is 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 a way of saying that once you enter into that framework or maybe you maybe maybe you don't enter i mean who knows whether you ever enter into that framework, but once that once that is your framework. Then everything that you experience confirms confirms that your whole world becomes a world of um, Amitabha's grace.
0: Yeah, well, um, Hirota kind of goes down this line because he identifies a basic problem in uh, Honen's presentation of uh, the single practice of of, of saying the nimbutsu uh, and basically Honen's. View is where well, you have to do it, um, uh, and that's what brings about uh, the arising of shinjin. Right. Uh, but I, I think, on the one hand, that can begin to sound a bit like uh, self-power. Uh, on the one hand, but mm. also um, I think the more like the the question that he experiences uh, that he explores a bit more is something like, how can I be sure that if I say the nimbutsu I will be reborn in the Pure Land, and particularly if I don't feel that, what do I do? You know that you, you're kind of stuck, if you like, a little bit stuck. Uh, and these are questions it seems that uh, Shinran himself was asked, um, and in the um, in the Tani show, which is widely seen as a kind of um, summary, a late summary of Shinran's points of view, which was written by a disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this passage in it where uh, Shinran says something like, I, I've got no idea whether saying the nimbutsu will lead me to the pure land or lead me to hell.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but I've got, I've got no, it's like I've got no better ideas. Uh so that's what you know, that's what I trust in. Mm. Uh and he says something like, uh, yeah, he couldn't possibly know whether saying the Nimbutsu was was gonna liberate him or, or or lead him into hell. And um the Hirota uses this to to argue that Shinran doesn't try to convince people or use arguments as we've established a bit in previous weeks. He doesn't try to use arguments um to convince people that uh the Amida myth is true if you like uh it's a bit more like um what is it more like um maybe it's a kind of conversion thing i suppose you 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 just come you come to see things that way maybe because you don't you feel that you've got no other you've got no alternative really and actually that kind of also Relates to the parable of the white path. I think doesn't it uh, that we're right. we're looking at today because uh, It seems to me what the the parable of the white path uh, points towards is is um, you, uh, you're kind of an existential stuckness if you like you know, you, you can't you can't go this way you can't go that way uh, and whatever you do it seems like it's going to turn out wrong and so your only alternative is the kind of trust in a reality that is le- that is less familiar or seems less um, uh, less known, uh, which in in this case is is the white path. And so what I got from Hirota was was the, almost like the you you arrive at the the shin perspective, if you like, because you realise that there's just nothing else. You know, the, the, there's nothing else that works, and your attempts, if you like, to to construct some other model of how things are and how you might get awakened and so on they just sort of collapse they don't just don't really work Mm -hmm. uh and and that's kind of what you're left with um um, yeah so it's kind of in some ways maybe more like other power becomes compelling through the collapse of self-power not through not through becoming convinced in some kind of um intellectual way or something like that it's more like almost maybe like some kind of a fruit of spiritual desperation or something like that or well are you even more than desperation because desperation is still quite self-centered often isn't it, it, it it's more like yeah it's just a, the collapsing of a, a whole way of seeing things i guess that the idea of oneself and attainment and that kind of thing i'm stumbling around a bit but i'm hoping that you might respond and enlighten me you
2: know that, that that parable of uh, of the of the uh, of the path, which which, um, yeah, which which, may, maybe we should actually look at that. But yeah, b- before before we look at it in some detail, the uh, the dilemma of that parable reminds me of the Zen story of the person who's yeah hanging from a vine yeah and there's a tiger up above and and, and, and a precipice below. If he lets go of the vine, he'll fall to his death. And if he climbs up to the top, he'll be eaten by a tiger. And so he just hangs on to the vine and, and eats a grape. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And that sounds a little bit like, um, doesn't, doesn't does doesn't that, doesn't that have something to do with the, with the verb to let go, to let go of something?
0: Um, well, uh, or to it, let, it let be, to let be, yeah. Let it be, yeah.
2: Right. The last it, it's
0: actually sometimes translated actually to follow up on what you just said. It it sometimes translated as releasement. um So right. that yeah, relates that's to that's the right, idea of letting what saying, go. That
2: you're talking about Something something that is It's a past participle. Of, I mean, to 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 let to let go, which which would be to release. And, and so the question I guess is what 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 is it that's released in in height? um i mean certainly what's 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 released when you're when you finally you're hanging on to that vine you you don't release the vine but you eat a grape it's sort of like you just well a, a more negative way of saying it is is kind of resignation or acceptance you just accept this is the situation I'm in right now and and so i um this is where I am, and so I might as well just make the make the most of it um and, and since I'm hanging here by by a vine which is about to <clears throat> which is about to uh pull away from the cliff and drop me to my death, I might as well have a grape you know and and, and, and i I'm not sure whether this this white path is quite the same kind of parable, but it seems to be setting up the same. Sort of uh, mm. dilemma.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking also about that. David, I think it's the metaphor from Dao Qi, uh, uh, the Chinese proto Zen uh, right. master, which he talks about eating a a red hot ball of coal. Right. So you can neither cough it up nor swallow it. Um, right. Uh, that you're you're just kind of stuck. Really, there's no. Right. You know, there's no way out
2: right Mm.
0: yeah well should should, i mean so there's another idea that i'd like to go back to in the hirota essay a bit later but why don't we have a look at the um the parable of the white path um by the way i mean you probably already established this but as far as i can tell uh this comes from shandao um and really uh shinran yeah more or less just copies it verbatim uh from shandao so it, it definitely isn't uh, something original to, to Shinran,
2: right? Which which uh, which page does does that begin on?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to find it myself now. Um, um, give me a minute. Uh, it is on page eighty nine. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we should just um, to start with, kind of summarize the, the the basic parable, should we?
2: Yeah. It's not that long. How, how about how about just reading it because. That'll help, help refresh the, uh, it, it, on page 89, the second paragraph from the bottom. Okay, Suppose yeah. There's a traveler journeying 100,000 li toward the west when suddenly along the way he comes upon two rivers in a single channel, one of fire extending southward and one of water extending north. Okay, each river is 100 paces across, immeasurably deep, and endless to the north and the south. Dividing the fire and water is a single white path four or five inches wide. This path from the eastern bank to the western bank is 100 paces in length. Billows of water surge over the path, and the flames sweep up to scorch it. Water and fire thus alternate without break. I'm having a hard time picturing this.
0: Uh, I I really struggle with that as well. Uh when I was reading through I was thinking how do how does this work visually? Um right. And so so yeah so we've got as I, as I understand it going north to south right we've got two rivers. Right.
2: Um
0: on the one hand it's a river of uh water. Right. and the other other a river of fire. So they're um they're parallel. Yeah, those two right. are parallel as I understand it. And then, so then, perpendicular to the two rivers, uh, you've got the traveller on the east bank uh, of the so two rivers.
2: So this that's, path is actually crossing over these these rivers.
0: That's the only way it can be. The, the, the confusing thing is that it says it divides the two rivers. Right, well, it, it at first that it, by, but it goes north, north to south, but yeah, yeah. But it it can't um, do. Um, so it so actually goes across the two rivers rather than, rather than divides them,
2: yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's from the eastern bank to the western bank, yeah, so the only way that could be is if it's not going north and south. so this path is a hundred paces in length, Billows of water surge over the path, and flames sweep up to scorch it. Water and fire thus alternate without break. Now the traveler has already journeyed deep into the vast and solitary wilderness. there's no one to be seen. But bands of brigands and wild beasts lurk there, and seeing the traveler alone, they vie with each other to kill him. Fearing for his life, the traveler at once flees toward the west, when without warning the great river appears. He reflects, I can see no end to this river, either to the north or south. In the middle is a white path, but it is extremely narrow. Although the two banks are but slightly separated, this is what I what I can't make out either, because each river is supposed to be a hundred. Yeah,
0: you're right. Hundred paces across. Yeah, that's not slightly separated, is it?
2: That's, no, not really.
0: That's two hundred paces altogether to get across.
2: Right. So how is it possible to cross? Assuredly, this way I shall die if I turn back. So I I, I guess it's it's hazardous to cross this very narrow path.
0: Well, it's just four or five inches wide.
2: Right, so it's about, you know, maybe the width a little bit wider than his, than his foot, so he would have to kind of...
0: Yeah, almost like walking across a tight rope or something like that. You yeah, know, w-
2: one foot right in front of the other. Yeah. Um, assuredly this day I shall die. If I turn back, brigands and wild beasts will press closer and closer upon me. If I run north or south, So I guess in the direction that the rivers are flowing, beasts and poisonous insects will contend with each other to attack me. If I venture on the path westward, surely I will plunge into the two currents of water and fire. So there are no words to express the terror and despair that fill him at this point. He thinks further to himself. If I turn back now, I die. If I remain here, I die. If I go forward, I die. There's no way for me to escape death. Therefore, I choose to go forth, venturing on this path. Since this path exists, it must be possible to cross the rivers. Mm. So That's
0: quite interesting, isn't it? All of that. Um, So he kind of reaches a point of utter uh, desperation, really, that he's aware that none of the options... Uh, are viable.
2: Right. Um, And it doesn't seem to occur to him that if he can get across, so can the wild beasts and the brigands. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay,
0: that's a good point. Um, I hadn't thought of that. Uh,
2: (laughs) This thought occurs to him, he suddenly hears the encouraging voice of someone on the Eastern Bank, Oh, traveler, just resolved to follow this path forward you will certainly not encounter the grief of death but if you stay where you are you will surely die further someone on the western bank calls to him now where is I, i'm still having a hard time yeah. picturing this because yeah. is he now sort of on the path
0: no not yet he's not and not yet he's he's approaching it yeah
2: so okay so there's there's someone on the eastern shore who's um says just follow the path forward you'll not encounter Then someone on the western bank calls to him, O traveler with mind that is single, with right-mindedness, come at once. I will protect you. Okay, so the person on the western bank, this voice on the western bank, is inviting him to come across. Yeah. I will protect you. Have no fear of plunging to grief. The traveler, having heard the exhortation on his side of the river and the call from the other side, immediately acquires firm resolution in body and mind, and decisively takes the path advancing directly without entertaining any doubt or apprehension then the brigands on the eastern bank call out to him and say come back the path is treacherous permits no crossing you're certain to meet your death none of us address you thus with evil intent and but he doesn't he doesn't turn back he just keeps going okay so that's the parable it's a little yeah. clearer now to me. The first, I read it twice and was a little bit puzzled. I think I have it clear in my mind now. How it's what what the uh, situation is.
0: Yeah. Um. And yeah. I, obviously, it's some kind of existential parable, isn't it? And uh, right. it's also a um a way of trying to explain um the arising of other power as a kind of. Uh, a new factor or a um, uh, a type of conditionality, if you like, that transcends uh, our ordinary uh, conditionality. Because right. the idea of being able to walk across a path that's only four or five inches wide, right. uh, you can't really do that. Um, uh, uh, but it, it seems possible. And as you also pointed out, why can't the brigands also follow him? But I, I, I think... They can't. I think we have to accept that they can't follow him. Um.
2: it it could could well be that that the brigands perhaps won't follow him because they're too fearful. I mean, the brigands are telling him, "Don't try to cross that path, you fool! You'll you'll certainly die." Right. Well, if they sincerely believe that, yeah, then I mean, that's the question: is whether they they've already lied to him about their intentions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, and the, and the brigands, I guess we could say uh, are kind of um, really caught up in self-power, so they're never going to have confidence in this path. Right. Um, but so he, he has kind of come to the point where he realizes that self-power is not working, uh, and in fact, the only result is that he's going to die.
2: Right.
0: Um, so he kind of almost becomes open to any anything really any possibility and it's precisely right. at that moment which i think is interesting that he receives encouragement right uh, from both banks
2: so the eastern bank is the sahaloka yeah and the western bank is the land of perfect bliss right so it's Sukhavati's, yeah Sukhavati, i suppose yeah. the brigands and wild beasts calling with treacherous familiarity they are the sentient beings sense organs and the the six vinyanas the six kinds of objects the five aggregates and the four elements so in other words the entire the entire world of sensory experience are represented by the brigands and the wild beasts then the two currents of water um and fire are greed and desire right and anger so yeah so the, fi- the river of fire is, 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 is our anger the river of water is our greed and desire and the white path in the middle is um, a pure mind that aspires for birth in the pure land
0: right so yeah that that mind is the bridge and, right. and maybe to relate it to things that we've we've already said that bridge is always there uh, although I guess you could argue at least the parable suggests that we have to cross that bridge uh but but maybe um, maybe it isn't it shouldn't be taken completely literally uh, i'm not sure uh, yeah, but, it,
2: it yeah. the, 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 the you know the this pure this pure mind is is the means of getting from the sahaloka to the to Sakavati and then and to the Sakavati Bhumi, the pure land. And then something else that's, that's a theme that we've seen in Shinran fairly consistently is that even as you're on this white path, this pure mind, greed and greed and, and lust and, and 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 anger are still going to be attacking you, right? So so even even as you're on that path, these things are still going to be part of your part of your experience, and that seems to be something that. Shinran has, I mean, he's almost said it in so many words that as long as you're alive, you're going to be subjective, subjected to, to greed and, and, um, and hatred, you know, not necessarily, but anger. These things will always be there. And, and, yeah. and yet, Shinjin will get you across.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was quite struck by the where it says, uh, he takes one or two paces. Um, And then the the brigands call out, come back. That path is treacherous and permits no crossing. You're certain to meet your death. Right. So it it kind of seems to suggest that even at the point of um, beginning to place confidence in other power, doubt uh, kind of arises all over again at that moment. Right. Uh, And possibly even that that describes a constant existential struggle possibly Uh, between between the on the one hand you're stepping onto the white path but on the other hand at the same time the brigands are saying no come back and that's what you're kind of living with or that's what you're kind of working with
2: yeah and and it really is it's it's um the sahaloka the you know the 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 world of ordinary ordinary society and i I mean I, i think that there's an aspect of this of this that that uh, I can certainly remember from sort of early days of being engaged in in meditation practice or being part of a spiritual community or something like that, that that uh, you know you're embarking on a kind of spiritual journey that you're hoping is going to, to take you someplace out of the sahaloka and all of your Comrades from 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 your from your ordinary life are saying, "Well, why don't we just go have a pint and a pizza?" <laughs> so there's this this constant sort of pulling back. You
0: know? You're going on this retreat where you're gonna have muesli for breakfast every day and right. uh, be in silence and so on. Yeah, why not go for a beer
2: and a pizza, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, w- I, I was really quite struck by this um, by this this little little parable. I mean, it's a very interesting one. And, and the yeah, he, mm. he hears the voice of someone on the eastern bank, encouraging and exhorting him and following yeah. the path. What what do you think that represents? I don't know, because it's somebody it's somebody in the Sahaloka. Um Yeah. And so, that it sounds like that's you know he says it's shakyamuni has already entered nirvana and people of later times cannot meet him his teachings still remain however and we can follow them they are like that voice ah okay so that's fine. the dharma
0: Who explains it so it's the dharma could be shinran himself maybe you know as well yeah. um yeah yeah
2: and and uh, uh sutras you know in anything that's anything that's yeah that's uplifting and, yeah. and inspirational yeah. um they do it they, they are part of the sahaloka so the, the, and we we hear those things when we're still in the sahaloka it's just a matter of whether we follow them mm-hmm. and and what's interesting about this is that there's someone on the western shore who's presumably made that journey who's calling and saying don't give up
0: yeah, I, I mean, I'm supposing that that's Amitabha. Um, uh, well, actually, he he describes it simply as this is the intent of Amida's vow. Someone on the western bank calls to him. This is yeah, the intent, this is of, the Amida's intent Amida's of
2: Amida's
0: vow. vow. Oh. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think we could kind of say that's. Uh, that's and the brigands, Amida.
2: the brigands who are trying to call him back. Those are people of different understandings, different practices, false views, their own misguided opinions. One, one after another, seek to confuse him, claiming that he is committing evil and will fail. So, yeah, that's there's no there's no lack of of those voices in in ordinary life. Is there
0: <laughs> the uh, the the voices um, on the eastern bank? Um, well, as you were speaking, what occurred to me was, is that is that the sacred, is that what sacredness is? Because sacredness is about um, an object that or something that manifests in the corrupt world but belongs to the sacred world, so it right. kind of functions as a as a kind of bridge i suppose um right. uh, between uh the the non sacred world and the sacred world um, yeah so in
2: in the in the world of in the world well depending on whether the pure land or Heaven, or beatific vision, or you know, the world of God—whatever how, you know, however you want to describe that that, that realm—there is no sacred there because there's there's no longer a need for a reminder that there's that world exists. That's the world. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a bit like the their um what would what would be the word for it um kind of sacred deposits or something like that deposits that that belong to the sacred world but of uh fa- find themselves or we encounter them uh in the uh in the ordinary world and through that encounter uh we're able to recognize ah that there is a sacred world because these objects are uh evidence of it or they're 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 revealing it to us they're, they're glimpses of it uh maybe we could mm-hmm. say um yeah
2: yeah that that um is maybe the third or fourth time i've I've read that it's a lot more clear to me i guess it's not i mean it, it was fairly clear enough the first time but it's it's kind of made made more of an impression on me than it did when i first read it so um why why don't you why don't you you tell me more about um about heidegger and and uh this other other aspect that uh
0: yeah, so about the uh, change temporality um, that um, I mentioned a bit earlier.
2: Mm.
0: And I've got another quote from uh, Hirota. Uh, so, so one of the things that, that, this interested me quite a lot, because one of the things that Heidegger, uh, I think, was very concerned with was the recognition of uh, human con- contingency and limitedness. Uh, and particularly things like abandoning uh, the idea of a bird's eye view of reality, you know, which was is the traditional project of Western metaphysics. Um, and Heidegger moving more towards a kind of situated, I guess, um, relationship to truth uh, that is um, shaped by or... Um, or takes place within a kind of human finitude. Um, So, and uh, Hirota argues that Shinran uh, argues very similar things, that Shinran is also very concerned to be attentive to human finitude, uh, particularly human um, kind of ethical limitations, if you like, you know, the, the idea that we're, Incorrigibly evil, to you know, to use that language. Yeah, right. um, and and so the whole Shin vision unfolds within a a vision of human being that is essentially that essentially says that human being is quite limited. Um, you know, that human being can't trans can't by itself completely transcend its own limits. Um, so then he, he goes on to talk about. Um, I probably have to read a little bit. Um, so um yeah so we're we're in a situation where uh we are reaping the consequences of our past actions karmically um but at the same time uh, a person of shinjin uh, dwells in the stage of the truly settled uh which means to say that they will inevitably you know be reborn in the pure land and so what um Haroto goes on to say this is a quote The realization and acceptance of finitude, which can occur only by standing fully within it in the present, leads to an altered, doubled temporality in which the future, hell, or enlightened wisdom, compassion, pervades and transforms the past and the present. Amida Buddha and his vow may in fact be said to uh, to signify precisely this dynamic transformative temporality for the practitioner. Time ceases to be an abstract fleeting instant in the flow of time and becomes the lived time of conditioned awareness. Hmm. Um, So I think what I took from that, maybe I haven't understood this right, but I'm interested in this idea of double temporality. And I think it, I think it does have to do with, with, ideas that I've expressed in these sessions before about the idea of collapsing time. Uh, so instead of thinking about time uh, forming a sequence uh, of past, present, and future, uh, past and future are actually present now, uh, if you like. So what that means is that uh, enlightenment isn't something achieved in the future. Uh, it's actually something that's that's here right now um Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh and equally um it can't be something that can be looked back on as having been achieved not in certainly not in the ordinary sense uh because it's being revealed right now Mm. it's this idea of double temporality i'm still trying to get my head around it so some of that sounds a little
2: bit like the the doctrine of sarvastivada doesn't it you know the, the, the notion that that um that all dharmas of the past present and the future are always present in in, in a way mm. and and uh, okay. I mean the the argument there, there's also there there is also I mean there's sequential time there is that in in, in sarvastivada but 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 the uh, I I I I guess the, the reason that they say that the past the past is always at least potentially present. Present is, is that you can you can remember the past and you can anticipate the future. I mean you can aspire to something in the future. So, so that there's there's that that kind of causality which is a future a future reality becomes a cause of the way that you're acting now. So they call it in Sanskrit or uh, prayoga, which is which is really an aspiration, or a, uh, that that if there weren't the reality of, you know, to put it in pure land terms, if there weren't the reality of the pure land to aspire to, then um, you couldn't aspire. You 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 couldn't you you it wouldn't even be available as a as an object of of aspiration. So there's a sense in which it's present at the moment that you. Or thinking, I would like to be in the pure land instead of the Sahaloka.
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to this. Uh, yeah, maybe it goes back to the idea of prolepsis as well. Um, right. Uh, the idea, the idea that of um, thinking as though something already has been achieved.
2: How, how does that differ from from, you know, the, Arist- the Aristotelian notion of when he talks about ways in which causality functions, he has Telos, right? They,
0: uh, so tell me about that. It's,
2: it's well, it's 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 the goal. It, a telos is a is a, uh, is, a um, is a is a goal. So when when Arist- when Aristotle talks about causality, he says something like, um, you know, you have you have a sculptor who's making a statue. Um, he's, he's he's going to carve. Jefferson's face on Mount Rushmore (laughs) so the the goal is the final product and that is that is in a sense a cause of the sculptor chiseling the mountain if if there weren't this goal of having something that looks like Thomas Jefferson on on the side of the mountain the sculptor wouldn't be chiseling away at the mountain so the you know the mountain becomes the material cause, the sculptor becomes an efficient cause, and the the future image that he wants to create there becomes the the, the uh, telos It's called you know, like teleology the goal.
0: yeah, I mean, I'd like to think more about that, um, but as you were speaking, um, what occurred to me to add to that idea, I like the idea of the the, the Telos. Um, was uh, you know the, a, a, a quote that's apparently attributed to um, Michelangelo, I think it is. Um, and that rather than thinking that he was sculpting figures, uh, that he was actually uncovering them uh, from the marble, um, right. as though they were already there, but he's just uh, allowing them to, to be revealed.
2: Right, all, all he's doing as a sculptor is removing everything that isn't uh, David,
0: that's
1: it, yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. There there is um sort of lurking in the in the in the background of all this is 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 uh, is something that um has been on my mind as we've been reading this and, and also in talking about Zen. And I'll just pose this as a as a question. Have have you read uh or encountered the book um pruning the Bodhi Tree? Yeah, I uh-huh. have um the the, you know, the the target of that or the the whole movement of japan and japanese buddhism was kind of provoked by a crisis of um two two natures one one of them was this realization that during the second world war there was not a single i mean i think there was literally one buddhist monk one buddhist priest who objected to the war effort in Japan, and everyone else just fell in line and and uh, were helping train kamikaze pilots and everything else, and and um, in, in, you know in realizing that the emperor, the, you know the Japanese Empire was almost inevitable, um, and then the second crisis was the recognition that there are. There, there, there's a there's a group of people in, in Japanese society that are so I mean they're they're like outcasts the buraku people and that and the, and the Buddhism has done nothing to address the injustice of these people who are almost considered I mean they're human beings but they're almost considered to be subhuman and and that Buddhism has failed to address that. And um, these two particular critics who are talked about in the Pruning the Bodhi Tree were claiming that both of these situations where you have people who just sort of blindly follow along the path of imperialism and people who ignore the injustice, economic and and other injustices, that both of these arise naturally out of what they call Datuvada, which is a, a term that they made up. Yeah. But that... It, two examples of Dhativada are uh, the notion of um, Buddha nature and um, Shinjin.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I, as I remember it in that in that book, their main target is Zen. Uh, I can't remember much talk about uh, Shin Buddhism in that book.
2: It's um, you know it's 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 it is it is uh, Zen and and Tagarba. Right. But there but but there there also is a critique of of uh, pure pure land as being sort of part of the same the same thing and um, I mean the fact is that the jodo Shinshu school of Buddhism is by far the the most populous has 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 the largest uh, following of any school of Buddhism in japan and and they did nothing uh, to to address either the Economic inequalities or, or the uh, the imperialist effort and, and 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 I think part of the argument is that that this kind of complacency comes about naturally when you have a doctrine that says well it's all don't don't worry about injustice because Amitabha has already taken care of all this right I mean that would be kind of the a very oversimplified um,
0: yeah. T- um, although, I mean, you know, even in what we read today, uh, there's a number of um, places where Shinran emphasises the the two dimensions of practice. One is, if you like, the going forth, the going forth right. to the Pure Land, and right. the other is the return. Uh, and he mentioned I mean, that's mentioned quite often. Um, so it does seem to me to include uh, a compassionate vision. Uh, and even the idea, the way I would see it, is that you become an agent for Amitabha in the world or something yeah. um, in the context of Shinjin. So I, I don't really see why that should lead you to passivity. Um, uh, but it, I guess a lot depends on, on how you come to understand it and the, and the context and so on uh and he, even shinran himself in his own life uh, and maybe we'll look at some of his pastoral letters in in future weeks but mm-hmm. he was quite concerned that even his own followers were neglecting ethics uh you know the antinomian kind of uh right. perspective and, right. he, and to make it clear that that was just that 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 was not what he was teaching uh, and in fact right. if somebody acted that way that kind of suggests that they haven't really understood what Shinjin is uh, and what it's about.
2: Right.
0: So there, 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 there does seem to be a way that you can understand uh, a, a kind of an ethical sensibility in, in, Shin, in Shin Buddhism, Shinran, a compassionate response, um, out of, for this indebtedness, kind of gratitude um, mm. that one feels. And right. so maybe these people, I don't know, in, in the Second World War, maybe the, the the issue is that if you don't really appreciate the significance of amitava's transfer of merit then you're you're likely to fall into a a slightly self-centered way of thinking about practice
2: right and and i and i think the the critics of, of Dhatuvada were were trying to make the point that this um Problem is not one that's likely to arise. I mean, in a way, what they were, what what, what was what was uh, motivating them was was the rediscovery in Japan from a Japanese perspective, the rediscovery of of uh, the Pali Canon and and you know the sort of early early Buddhism in general, um, where where you do have a much more developmental um, problem. So i mean you 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 have the, the problem laid out in such a way that we have we have an impure mind and and there are certain things that you can do to uh, remove those impurities and um the, the that kind of developmental or gradual approach to things uh does not lead to the kinds of misunderstandings that Shinran Face during his lifetime when people heard him talking about the Pure Land and Amitabha's vow and interpreted that to mean that they didn't have to do anything or that they could just act like scoundrels and it would still be taken care of. Um, anyway, that's I, I find I, I find I find that an an intriguing book that pruning the Bodhi tree, and I think there 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 are there are answers to it, but it's. But it is interesting that the problem arose. Of the, the, the misunderstanding arose, and one, one wonders whether the misunderstanding was almost bound to arise, given the doctrine as it was presented in the first place.
0: Right. I mean, I know that uh, Bante always emphasized um, the importance of starting with a developmental model—that mm-hmm. uh, that's how you should start. And I wrote to him about four years ago about a remark that he made in one of his travel letters about um, the Pure Land perspective. And in that book, he writes something like: um, uh, people generally think uh, that the Pure Land perspective is uh, is an introductory teaching; it's a, a basic teaching that anyone can adopt Uh, and on the contrary i think it's a very advanced teaching that's this is what he said and so i wrote to him asking him to clarify that remark why did he think that and his response was that um uh we're very um used to the idea of of thinking that we can do things and achieve things Mm -hmm. and so it's much easier for us to accept that um that way of thinking Right. And we're not very used to the idea of letting go of that and opening up to some higher power or force,
1: mm.
0: which is why the Pure Lung path is actually an advanced path because it, it actually rests on uh, the renunciation of egocentric clinging. Right. Um, but clearly, a lot of these things depend upon how you learn about them and how they then relate to what you've known in your previous life. And I think that say, if you've, if you've begun the Buddhist path with quite a clear developmental model, and then you learn about the Shin perspective, I think that's very different maybe from never having been introduced to a developmental model. And I think Shinran himself is the perfect example, isn't it? Isn't he? Uh, He he
2: went through that. Yeah mental
0: yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah, he didn't just go straight into this um this uh uh, buddha nature innate model he'd he'd done the training almost 20 years of training right um so maybe that has to be taken into account
2: yeah yeah i mean i i I still find the uh the tendai system a very attractive system and, and and um i i really i really do in general approve of the way that they did things by starting out with certain you know you 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 do certain kinds of sutras and certain kinds of practices first and then and then you don't begin with something like nagarjuna or madhyamaka that's something that you do after you've already made a certain amount of progress in in the um you know the, the much more developmental form of buddhism and then then you may be problematize Madhyamaka with and correct it with a bit of Yogacara and then eventually you know eventually you realize that that it's you know you come well from from the Tendai perspective you you come to the culmination of all that in in uh, in the Lotus Sutra you know the Ekayana there's no longer a Mahayana or Hinayana there's you
0: become a Nichiren follower
2: yeah